0: Do you struggle with the idea of a God who judges? We tackle reasons why people often find God's judgment so off-putting. Hello, Thinking Christians. Welcome to The Unapologetic Show, where we defend truth without compromise with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I'm your host, Tim Hall. I want to give a quick reminder. We have t-shirts. One way that you can help out this ministry and support us is by purchasing one of our t-shirts, and you can find those at the bottom of every single one of our YouTube videos. Well, we as Christians often struggle with the idea of God's judgment. Currently at Image Church, we are preaching through the book of Revelation, and it paints a clear picture of God's judgment. The first reason that people might struggle with God's judgment is that we might fail to recognize just how holy God is. Bobby, talk to us about how come when we fail to recognize just how holy God is, that causes us to struggle with God's judgment.
1: One of the things that happens to us, Tim, is when we lose sight of God's grandeur, his holiness, his otherness, his perfections, uh, when we kind of get an earthly vision instead of a heavenly vision, we can lose sight of God's moral transcendence, his holiness, and his absolute sense of moral impeccability. And what that can do then is when we think about God judging, it can cause us to feel or retort or to think that perhaps he's being a bit temperamental, erratic, unjust, overly sensitive. Uh, What's going on? Why is God issuing judgments in the way that he is? And so when we uh, think about, for example, Uh, Salman Rushdie, who was charged uh, on the stage by somebody who ended up stabbing him many times, including uh, once in the eye. And the reason this went down uh, is because there was a fatwa put out in his life. I think if I can remember correctly, it was the Ayatollah Khomeini. And uh, this happened back in the 80s. He wrote uh, the satanic verses, and it was very blasphemous, according to uh, Muslims. Well, when you think about what happens, Muslims have this sense that God is holy. They recognize God is holy, and therefore it creates in them a sense of high justice. Uh, the problem is, is when you have a sense of high um, justice without love, it can lead to acts of violence. Similarly, uh, you can have a sense of high love and uh low justice and it can lead to passivity. And I think this is where we are in the church at large, Tim, is where you see a lot of Christians failing to recognize how holy God is. So when you see the stage charged and Rushdie is stabbed, well, obviously we would say that's horrific, it was outright wrong. But what was driving the Muslim? A sense of justice for the holiness of God. But justice in light of the holiness of God, bereft of God's love, can cause us to act in violent ways. Nevertheless, my fear is, as Christians, we are operating the opposite way, whereby we have lost our sense of the need for God to execute justice because we've lost our horizons on how holy he is and in the name of being so loving, which is great, we need to be loving, but we've defined love wrong if it means we can't operate in
0: justice. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. And that kind of leads to this. The other side of the coin is that culture is kind of bringing in this motto of judge not. Uh, as that, that motto itself has created a disaster for all things judgment, this idea of kind of live and let live. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, we see this exactly right, Tim, in our culture, judge not, live and let live, um, you know, I don't judge. And as you well know, I mean, that's a self-refuting statement to say, you know, I don't make judgments is a judgment that that person just made about himself that he doesn't make judgments, which he just did. So it's self-refuting. Uh, we can't live without making judgments. Uh, Jesus didn't teach us not to judge. Uh, but as the late Norman Geisler would teach, uh, Jesus taught us how to judge. And so he said, first remove the you know plank from your own eye before you can remove the speck of dust from somebody else's. So judging is inescapable. What I think people mean is we don't want to come off judgmental. Uh, that is to say, we don't want to come off self-righteous, where we're looking down on people. And I get that, and that's a good sentiment, but we are to make judgments. And the enemy, I think, has worked us over as Christians, whereby now people feel bad if they make judgments. So for example, uh, this person called up on the pastor's perspective recently on the radio show, and somebody came into class, clearly a man dressed like a woman, and this girl confessed to feeling uncomfortable and she wanted to be loving. And while I affirm that that's great that you want to be loving, uh, you should feel uncomfortable with that. Like Tim, if I showed up on this radio show dressed in a dress, uh, that would be uncomfortable. Right. Um, if my wife came home tonight uh, and you know she put a beard on and looked like a man, I would be uncomfortable. And so we live in a culture now that they want us to totally feel at ease and at home and comfortable if a man uh, dresses up as a woman and a woman dresses up as a man, but uh, they want us to be uncomfortable if we have Christian convictions Mm -hmm. about it. And this is what we have to be careful of, is that we don't let the enemy blind us in the name of these types of statements. We have to share our voice. We have to hold fast to our convictions. And we can't lose sight of the fact that God has called us to live in a world whereby, I mean, look, how are you going to reach someone for Christ if you can't make a judgment that he, that he needs Christ? Uh, how are you going to uh, improve your marriage if you can't make a judgment that your marriage needs improving? How are you going to raise your kids if you can't judge on where they need raising and help so we can't get away from this?
0: Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you and I would both agree. when there's several places in the scriptures that Paul kind of lays out lists of th- of sins and and you know if you're born of the Spirit, what life will look like. If you're not, what it, what, it, what it will not look like. And so I think those can be guides where you and I and the church aren't ultimate judges of people's salvation, but we've been given pretty clear guidelines in Scripture on uh, what sort of things might indicate somebody uh, being saved. How how would you respond to something like that of of ultimate judgment?
1: Well, you know, we're told that you can judge a tree uh, by its fruit. So while we're not ultimately responsible for knowing who's in and who's out um, salvation-wise, you can tell a tree by the fruit it bears. Uh, In the parable of the sower, we saw that some uh, of the seed, which represents the Word of God, would bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. But that's something we, we can recognize in Christians that people are on a journey and they bear different levels of fruit. But if you look at somebody's life and you don't see any fruit, um, well, what did you do? Well, you made a judgment. I don't right. see any fruit. <laughs> and what do you do if you look at someone's life and they have 30 fold? Well, they're bearing some fruit. What if you see somebody bearing a hundred fold? Man, they're bearing a lot of fruit. They're really living. And so we recognize uh, fruit coming out of one another's life, but we have to be careful because then um, you can even have people um, that are wolves dressed in sheep clothing. They can sound like sheep. They can smell like sheep, but they can still be wolves. Uh, And then you can have people that they might look a little bit more wolf-like, but they might actually be sheeps. They might just be in the early stages of sanctification. So this requires a lot of discernment, all which means that it requires putting on a hat of proper Christian judgment.
0: Yeah, excellent. So uh, one of the other reasons, the third reason that people might often struggle with a God who judges is that deep down they worry that he might be overreacting and that they won't get a, a fair trial. How would you respond to somebody thinking that God might be overreacting and treating them unfairly?
1: Well, you know, you look in the passage and you see like when David's trying to get the ark to go back. Uh, you know to to its proper home and you know these guys you know just god wipes out boom boom um, you know for just reaching out to to grab um, you know the tabernacle when it was about to fall uh, and, and and he struck dead and you think wow what what's up with that is god kind of you know being a little bit over the top here uh ananias and sapphira you know they're untruthful and they, they're struck dead. And I would say there are certain moments in the scriptures, um, you know, that we might read and feel like, wow, um, God's not playing around. Um, And uh, even when God's not playing around though, as in the case of reaching out, there was a proper way to handle the ark, and the ark represented the holiness of God. And we, we, we had to handle properly God's holiness. We need to have proper reverence for him. And so that uh, reaching out to, to grab it, God was just. It's just there wasn't a lot of room for grace in those moments. In other moments, it appears as if God is sitting on his hands. When you read the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk's like, how long, oh Lord? Like, what's up? Why are all these people, why do the evil seem to prosper right now? And so now this gets a little bit into, we can't understand the ways of God. Why is it that in certain moments, it seems like there is just an absolute execution of his justice on the spot. At other times, it seems like he's waited too long. Mm. Uh, in any case, we can know that when it doesn't seem like he intervenes on time, well, he will intervene during his time, and there will be ultimate justice. And in the moments when he operates immediately, it wasn't because he lacked justice. It's just it's a picture of what we would all deserve if he chose to execute his justice immediately. So, in a lot of ways, uh, we should all be thankful that we don't see him uh, executing his justice immediately in our lives. So, for all of us that complain, man. You know, why doesn't he execute his justice more quickly? Well, do we want that to apply to us? Right. And then when he does execute his justice more quickly, we might say, well, we would like him to wait longer. Well, do we want that to apply to others when he waits longer? And so we don't get our hands around God's justice this side of heaven, Tim.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that that's an excellent point. And that leads uh, to kind of our fourth reason is that th- this, this idea of trusting that our ultimate issues are our failure, failure to trust God's overall goodness to judge rightly. So uh, unpack that for us. That's exactly
1: right. I mean, going through Revelations has been a bit of a uh, emotional pounding in the last several chapters. I mean, uh, it's just chapter after chapter. It's like, uh, "Good morning," uh, and we're going to be talking about judgment again. And well, it's been a week since we've seen each other. We're picking up our series on judgment. Um, more judgment to follow next week. Uh, As you know, last week we talked about judgment and today we continue our, like it'll vex you when you're a pastor preparing it. And thankfully heaven's just around the corner in our journey at Image Church. Uh, Nevertheless, um, when we struggle with justice, Tim, ultimately, if we believe that God is good and that we believe that he's holy and we believe that mankind is sinful, then at the end of the day, we just have to step back and realize that in the end, God will be just and we have a trust issue. There is an insecurity that breaks in where we struggle trusting that God is just. But when we understand the chasm between our sinfulness and God's holiness, we can recognize that God is just in executing consequences for our immoral actions.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I, going, we'll move on to the next one. And this is, uh, I think, a really critical one because it, it kind of refers to the skeptics. So some skeptics have pointed out that God is a moral monster. And what I'd like to do here is I'm going to read a quote from Richard Dawkins' uh, book. And this is kind of a long quote, but I, I think it, it illustrates this, this picture very well. So uh, this quote is, um, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, uh, pesticidal, megalomaniac, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. So that's what Richard Dawkins has to say. How would we respond to Someone that's just uh just skeptical of God's morality in general or thinks that God is a moral monster, as Richard Dawkins has laid out there for us,
1: I mean that is a mouthful, and you you got to give it to Dawkins from a standpoint of uh you know he knows how he knows how to write in a way that um if you're a non believer or even if you've read some of the parts of the Bible and you haven't really been training it, you're like, man, um you know." what's he what's he saying here and is there some truth to this because you see in the bible um you know certain areas where people will accuse god of like genocide for example with joshua and the conquest of canaan but what you could do is you could literally do an entire series on this statement by dawkins and show that he has uh, mischaracterized god all over the place Uh, he's went and he has just used exaggerative statements He's using a, a certain form of rhetoric uh, that will cause some Christians to doubt if they're not familiar with the broader context, and that will reinforce atheists further in their disdain, perhaps, for God. Um, but literally, you could take all these things. Says, "Oh, God's um, you know misogynistic, or God is genocidal." Well, take the genocidal. Uh, God waited four hundred years before Canaan uh, was uh, to be destroyed because he was. Being patient with them. And they had the opportunity to repent. Uh, You know, uh, when saying that God's races, well, there is no race. Jesus died for all the nations. He just chose a Jewish nation to kind of kickstart this whole process of salvation. And so we need to recognize that we are up against as Christians certain rhetoric that's been put out there on social media and books that people read they digest and then they go and regurgitate this to their audiences Uh, but tim i wouldn't be interested in believing in a god that's just some homophobic racist infanticidal pestilential filicidal uh, maniac Uh, at the same token uh, we have to stand in the context from which the bible was written and understand Uh, the milieu that God was reaching out to and understand kind of what God's moral law is about instead of just coming up with this rhetoric that can work people up and get them to think that God is a moral monster. Uh, Far from it, all of these types of things that Dawkins is talking about, homophobic, racist, uh, genocide, all the, the killing, all that, that's why God sent His Son Jesus to die for all those types of sins right. so that we could be forgiven. So instead of saying that God's that way, no, He came to die for those who are that way mm-hmm. by sending His Son Jesus to die on a cross for us.
0: Yeah, and I think that, that's an excellent point. Our, our, our sixth um, you know, kind of reason that we're going to give is, is at the opposite end of the spectrum. So you have you know kind of the Dawkins, ask God's a moral monster. But then the sixth reason is that um, some, some people might romanticize and think that God is a moral pushover. And so that, so they, they just avoid this whole judgment thing. So uh, explain that a little bit about how, how do we see people being kind of a moral or God being a moral pushover?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, this is kind of your progressive Christianity stuff, Tim, where God's a, a glorified Santa Claus. Uh, you know, he's not really a judging God. So, you know, he doesn't care about your sex life, what you do there. He doesn't care what gender pronouns you go by. Uh, In fact, he really is not all into hell. Uh, There's no hell. Don't really worry yourself on that. Uh, You know, there might be annihilationism if you can't bear the thought of spending eternity uh, with our grandfather God. But there will certainly be no punishment for for sin. Uh, And uh, essentially, uh, you get people who they overdefine love to mean that God has no moral standard that he cares about. And then you essentially have to redefine what took place on the cross because certainly that wouldn't be an act of God's justice being poured out on Christ because uh, that would entail punishment and Christ wouldn't be punishment, punished for our sins because this glorified sugar daddy wouldn't uh, you know, dish out any punishment for sin because he loves us. Well, God does love us. Uh, but you can love somebody, and uh, and you know you can be outraged by the way somebody's living. Uh, mm-hmm. We've lost again our sense of holiness and our sense of recognition of justice. Like when I came to Christ, I recognized my sin, Tim. That I was utterly and completely wretched before the Lord. That I had guilt, and my guilt had found me out, and my sins. I was culpable for. And yeah, the beauty of the gospel was there was a God who could justly give me my deserts, but graciously through Christ paid for my sin. And his love wasn't a minimizing of my wrongdoing. It was a maximizing of his grace.
0: Yeah, and that that reminds me of this quote from aw Tozer it says uh, the vague tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the for the consciousness of millions and I think that that's kind of just sums up a little bit of kind of where we're at and, and as you were discussing the idea of the progressive uh, Christian movement and kind of getting rid of the idea of hell uh, but that also leads to the understanding what love is. And some people have distorted, they have a distorted view of love and that for them, love means no accountability at all. So talk to us about how love and accountability work together and how they point to God's judgment.
1: Uh, Absolutely, Tim. I mean, with our kids, for example, can we love our kids and when they do wrong, can we still hold them accountable? Can a boss still hold people accountable and enjoy and love people that he works with? um absolutely yeah so why in the world could a god not do that who's perfectly holy and understands most perfectly how to operate and judge uh without bias so uh, of course god can hold us accountable but what's so great about god is he sends jesus to die in our place like god in the person of jesus dies on the cross for our sins takes our punishment for us so that we could experience grace. And so we wouldn't have to experience an eternity separated from him. Now we can be Christians and still experience consequences for our wrongdoing. Uh, There's God's passive judgment, right? Where he just kind of lets people have what they want. Romans chapter one, even for non-believers, like he gave them up to do what they wanted. Then there's God's active judgment, like in the book of Revelation, where after God gave them up to do what they want and they continue to rebel against Him, that He intervenes with active judgment. So God does bring our sin to account, and we need to recognize that He's just in doing so.
0: Yeah, and so let's wrap this up. You know, finally, our our final point would be that some people just don't think that they deserve God's judgment. What would you say to that person that's kind of struggling with God uh, and his judgment, but that they don't think that they deserve it at all?
1: I think Isaiah felt that in chapter six when he had this vision of God uh, after he heard the angels crying out, Holy, 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 he realizes. Man, I'm sinful, I'm a man of unclean lips, my eyes have seen the Lord. And I think before that vision, Tim, he might've thought that he was better off than he was, but what he needed to recognize that God was just, was to see how holy God is. And so we end with where we began. It will go back to recognizing how holy he is. When we see that, we'll recognize then our sin in light of his holiness. When we see that, we'll recognize that he's just to judge. But then we can celebrate because he's a God who prefers mercy over justice
0: in the cross. Amen to that. So yes, the cross is a beautiful picture of both love and justice, right there. So I love how you wrap that up. Uh, appreciate you checking out this episode of the Unapologetic Show. Uh, two quick reminders: we are working towards going to getting a hundred thousand subscribers on our YouTube channel. If you are interested and you haven't subscribed, we would love for you to head on over to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash One Minute Apologist. Subscribe. We are also always looking for people to join our financial support team. Um, we are this show and this ministry is listeners supported and you can help support this ministry by heading over to one minute apologist.com slash form and then donate there we thank you so much for listening and with that we will meet you next time on the unapologetic show You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the One Minute Apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise.